Well, thank you for the warm welcome and um, really appreciate it. It was lovely coming in and seeing our names up there. Welcome oh, okay. to the all, okay. all the flowers up <laughs> there. And, uh, that was very, very special. Thank you for that. been about uh, 12 years. Oh, it probably see? needs to be a little bit louder. Louder, okay. Louder. I forgot my hearing aid. You forgot your hearing aid. <laughs> <laughs> well, me, me, me. It's not much louder. Everybody else will need a hearing aid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll try my best to be in between somewhere. So it's been nearly 12 months since we've uh, last been here. You know that already half of January is gone, so we are well into the new year, and uh, so I, I feel that the Lord has laid a word on my heart today that, uh, you know, to encourage you, uh, because whenever you start a new year, uh, if you're like me, you're wondering what this new year is going to bring, and you're looking at the old year, maybe you're sick of this whole process, you know, of always sort of navel-gazing a little bit of what happened last year and whether it was successful or not and how everything went and what the next year is going to bring. But uh, I feel that the Lord wants to encourage you for this coming year. Uh, perhaps last year for you didn't go quite as you expected. And maybe you're apprehensive about this coming year. Maybe you're disappointed about last year or discouraged. The devil, our enemy, is a great discourager. Mm. He wants to discourage people. He puts obstacles in your way and hindrances and difficulties and pains and everything to turn you away from the call of God on your life. Yeah. Everything. Because there's a call of God on your life. And it is not necessarily to great works. Ephesians 2 verse 10 for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. We are created for good works. Not necessarily great works. Good works are great works in God's economy. Good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So sometimes we can be disappointed because simply we have wrong expectations. We may think that we should be doing great works when God simply wants us to do good works. Yes. All right? Sometimes we are disappointed because things just haven't panned out the way we think. Are there any unrealized expectations or difficulties or fears? Maybe fears about what's lying ahead. The world certainly is not becoming a safer place or a lighter place, even where we have sun. You know, darkness shall cover the earth. Now, this is a promise of God to the end time generation. Darkness shall cover the earth. Not just Ecuador, not just Gaza and Israel, the earth includes New Zealand. Are there perhaps regrets? And uh, you're not quite sure on, on how this next year will pan out, because you might have regrets even of the last one. Regardless of how you feel about 2023, we are now in 2024. The new year. It's a new season and I feel really that God wants to encourage you and give you strength, put some strength into your soul and some confidence 
for the year ahead. Mm. So we're going to turn to a psalm, Psalm 23. Mm. In, in a way, unfortunate that it's most often used at funerals. Uh, this is not meant to be a funeral today. <laughs> but it's a wonderful psalm. Yeah. David, who wrote this psalm, King David, he was a man just like any of us. He was not superhuman. He was not superman. He had strong points. He had weaknesses. He went through the seasons of life, just like we all do. He had disappointments, discouragements. We, we heard today in the psalm, how long? How long? This is one of the cries of, of David. And the Psalms are full of his cries when he goes through difficulties, when he has pains, when he is on the sickbed, when he has got enemies. <clears throat> so he had strong points, weaknesses, went through seasons of life just like we all do, except everything in his life was huge. You know that? Everything was huge. He had a huge heart for God. He had a huge call of God. He had a huge anointing on him. He had huge challenges and opposition, huge successes and victories, huge failures, huge family difficulties too. And, and some of that is coming through in the psalm also. And, and it helps us to identify with David and with what he is writing here. Now what stands out, let, let's just read the psalm first. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Let, let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me to the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint me to hear with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wonderful reading. I heard some of you are King James only people. Oh. <coughs> For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. Oh, I love that though. Yeah, I love it. Yes, yeah. It's music to my ears too. So, what stands out to me in this psalm is the confidence that David has. Uh, if you go to verse. Let me look at verse 6 again. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now this is the same person who was hunted for years in the wilderness. Who had the king, the highest authority in the land, throw a spear at him. Who had his wife despise him. Who had people deride him. Who made big big, big mistakes that he was very ashamed of. And still he says, surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely. What does surely mean? It means certain. It means without any doubt. Absolutely so. Surely God's goodness, God's goodness and mercy shall follow me. The, the Hebrew word there is Radar, which means 
to pursue. God's goodness shall pursue me. What a term. I mean, do you normally have goodness? Do you think of goodness as pursuing you? You think of enemies. Some of us know the feeling, actually, of an enemy pursuing us and just making it away. But here it's not an enemy, it's God's goodness, truly goodness. God's goodness will pursue me all the days of my life. Not just some, but all. All the days of my life. Every season of my life. Every day of my life. Every week that is coming up. Even old age. Up to the last day of your life. Do you believe that? It's easy to believe when we are in church. It's, it's not so easy when you're going through a struggle and things are happening. All hell is breaking loose because the enemy wants to discourage you. It's wonderful confidence, isn't it? It's like us saying, even if another COVID comes, a famine comes to this land, a war, or enemies rise and persecute the church in New Zealand, which is going to be likely, yet surely goodness and mercy shall follow us. Shall follow me. Not just my neighbor, super saint, but shall follow me. Even with my failures. And we say that with confidence. That's the confidence God wants us to have. His goodness and mercy every day of our lives. How can we have that confidence? Well, it comes from knowing what God is really like. It comes from knowing His heart. And in Psalm 23, David gives us glimpses of God's heart. He sets out before us what God is really like. For God is like particularly as a shepherd. And that is the whole key to his confidence. So we look at that from the beginning. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. He knew the Lord as a shepherd. He had this revelation that the Lord was a shepherd, just like he had been a shepherd to his own sheep. When David was a boy, you all know, he was a shepherd. He was looking after the sheep. The Bible talks about him defending the sheep against even a lion and a bear as a spirit. That wasn't a natural thing. That was a supernatural thing because the spirit of God came upon him. But it still took courage. It still took a heart that wanted to defend the sheep. So David knew all about shepherding, knew about what sheep need and what they, what they want and what they like and what is best for them. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. The one in charge of me, of the sheep, of the dumb sheep. Because David also knew that sheep are pretty dumb. Um, they do all sorts of silly things and they're very stubborn. David knew that God is a shepherd who provides and cares and protects and defends the sheep. Because he owns the sheep. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus the Lord says, I am the good shepherd. And this is what he says. John 10 verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, 
sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. So he is saying there's a difference between one who doesn't own the sheep, who is a hireling, and one who is a real shepherd. He owns the sheep. He loves the sheep, he cares for the sheep, he defends the sheep. That's the Lord. He is not like a hireling. He will not forsake you. He will not forsake you. Jesus didn't forsake us, even when he saw the wolf coming. But he laid down his life for us. And God wants to know him like this. He wants to know, wants us to know him as our shepherd. The one who is committed to us. The one who deeply cares for us. The one who owns us. And of course, to know him as a shepherd it requires that we allow him to be Lord. Allow him to be in charge. And that we trust him. That we trust him. So there's always something that God does and there's some response that is required from our side. In this case... It is, we trust Him enough to obey Him, yeah? to, to surrender to Him, to let Him be Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He is Lord. He has to be Lord and shepherd. So, <clears throat> immediately out of that, that the Lord is a shepherd, many revelations flow. A lot of the psalm, not all of it, but a lot of it depends on that first statement, that the Lord is my shepherd, on that revelation, on that knowledge that the Lord is our shepherd. David carries immediately on, I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, the Lord has taken ownership of my life, and therefore He is the one who is responsible to provide. Now, I know some missionaries uh, who were called by God to the mission field. One mission, missionary was called to uh, Papua New Guinea. And when God called him, he said to God, Well, God, if you call me, you, you're my boss, I'm working for you, then you've got to provide for me, and you've got to keep me, and you've got to bring me back safely. No? And, and God said that he was going to do that. No. And so he trusted him, and he went out without any support from his church. <coughs> and for about 14 years, I believe, he was in the islands ministering. God provided everything that he needed. He provided a boat when he needed it on different occasions. He provided everything to start a Bible school. He provided everything. At one time from his church, from that man's church, 67 missionaries were on the field, all sent out by God. None of them received official support from the church. <coughs> We have other friends uh, that have just returned to America. They were caught out at one point when their church folded. They were sent by the church, uh, were missionaries in India, but had the call of God to go there and were supported by the church. And the church got into difficulties and, and started calling the missionaries back, saying we don't have the money to provide. Well, they prayed, this couple, lovely couple, they prayed, and they decided, no, God has called us here. We will, we will trust Him. He is our shepherd. He is our provider. He is our boss. And never asked for money. They were there for ten more years. Never asked anybody. Never even in newsletters wrote home about the need for anything. 
God provided. Money would come in. Ten years. So, I shall not want. Is that our confession? When we think about the next grocery bill. When we think about the car that needs replacing. When we think about how our income perhaps doesn't quite match our outgoings. You know, let's be practical. We all can get worried about that. But God doesn't want us worried. Sometimes, of course, we need to do something about it. Most often we do, but God will give us the idea. But we pray, and somehow the Lord will provide so, God is the, our shepherd who will provide. I love Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him provide freely all things for us? Provide freely. He has already given us the most precious thing he had, his own son. How shall he not with his son freely give us those far lesser things? Far, far lesser things. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in great pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. We can have a picture of God as being very demanding. Asking us to work hard. And true enough, we need to be diligent. But it's wonderful if God starts with grace. He started with rest with Adam. Adam was created and then he entered immediately into God's rest day. And here he starts with rest as well. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes him rest. He leads me beside the still waters. David knew him as one who made him rest. Not striving. Not doing things in his own strength not anxious to prove himself to God like we can easily be. Do you have that anxiety that you feel you need to prove yourself constantly to God? God wants us to rest. We are already justified. And he also wants us to take physical rest when that is needed. You know, sometimes we go through hard times and we need to allow ourselves to have rest, to take a step back, sometimes even from ministry. And not feel that we are only accepted by God if we carry on pushing. Well, of course, we need to seek God about things like this. We need to rest in Him, not seeking to be someone or something. Now, sheep only lie down when they are at peace. Did you know that? <laughs> they, they need to have reasonable peace, otherwise they are up and you know uh, they don't lie down when they're apparently not when they're hungry. I mean, I haven't worked much with sheep, but apparently not when they are hungry or fearful or harassed by one another, which they can do, just like we can. And uh, that completes the picture a little bit more. God wants us to be at peace, also not just with Him and in Him in our own selves, but also with one another, as much as we can. 
I think Romans says, as much as lies in you, be at peace with one another. As much as lies in you. You know, sometimes that's not possible. One of the scourges of our times is a constant stress, constant activity. And uh, I, I might add to that the constant uh, social media and uh, the demands that it places on us. Uh, and that there's little rest, even in the ministry. Many ministers have fallen because of that amount of stress that is there. Uh, musicians as well. Uh, famous names. Overworked. And then open to temptations. Yes. Yeah? Temptation makes easy work of them. So God cares about our starting point that we start from a position of rest and that also we take enough rest. It's a wonderful thing. That's the heart of God towards you. Number three, verse three. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Another wonderful revelation that David had. So often our soul gets beaten about. And we need times of restoration. And the image that I have is of this old, beaten up, dented car that goes into the workshop. And out comes it shining and brilliant and running smoothly on polish. And that is what God does with us. Only that it often takes some time, quite a bit of time, quite a bit of work on us. So when our soul is weary or worried or damaged in any way, even by our own stupidity or sin, God is a specialist who specializes in restoring the soul. He doesn't want you to carry on beating yourself up about old sin and shame that you have been through. There comes a point where He wants you to move on, provided you have genuinely repented, provided you have genuinely put some barriers in the way so that you won't go that way again. He wants you to then leave that behind and move on. Because, you know, you are fair more to anybody else if you are under that cloud all the time. So he wants to restore yourself. How does he do it? He does it through his presence. He does it through his, his spirit working in your life. He does it through prayer. He does it through his word, renewing your mind. And uh, he knows your soul better than you do. You know that? He knows your soul better than you do. <laughs> He really does. He knows all the secret little things, the, the motives that you're even trying to hide from yourself because sometimes we want to look a little bit better than what we are in our own sight. He knows us. And, and He can do everything and anything about it. You know, even if you are an unhappy person, there are some people who believe that they are condemned to a life of unhappiness somehow by their genes that they are that are so fashioned and so predestined uh, by their genes, by, by their genetic makeup, that they have this tendency to depression and, and to, to sadness. God doesn't say that. God doesn't say that. You can tell God, I'm not a happy person. Can you please make me happy? And He will, he will show you things. Mm -hmm. It may require some changes in your approach. God is not interested in anybody being depressed or sad. And there are principles in God's Word that will help you to change that. 
Give that to you. Yeah? Uh, as somebody once said, you know, there's no there's no benefit to God to have Christians that look like they've just been dipped in lemon juice. <laughs> so he restores my soul and then the soul is restored, but perhaps even during that time as well, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Paths of righteousness, right paths. Paths of righteousness. So paths that are morally right and paths that are right for me to be in God's purposes. Now sometimes uh, a morally right path may not be the right path. We see that in Acts chapter 16 where Paul, uh, on a missionary journey, he has gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia and, and it says there, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, that's a very good thing to want to do, to preach the gospel in Asia, Asia Minor, in that province there. But they were forbidden. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Another one, twice in a row, they're trying and knocking on doors, and the Holy Spirit is saying no. So these were not the right paths for them. They were good paths in themselves. Nothing wrong with them. And then, finally, a vision God comes to Paul and he, God shows him where he really wants him to go. So there are sometimes things in our lives that we can do that are not morally wrong, but they are wrong for us because God has a different purpose. And if we pursue our own will, our own way, we will not walk in the will of God for our lives. We will not arrive at the destiny of the good works that He has prepared for us. And our works will be burned up in the day that we stand before Him. Because they were of our own making and not of His making. Yeah? So we need to be careful to discern what is of God and what is not. And not make excuses and not say, well, there's nothing in the word that doesn't forbid this. No, there was nothing in the word forbidding Paul to go into Asia and preach the gospel. A very good thing. But not in God. God had a different purpose. You understand? <coughs> I heard uh, the story once of a, uh, a preacher, Selena Metten, uh, when she was in South America. And this preacher had a dream in which he saw himself going to, I believe it was Argentina in his dream, is that correct? And uh, preaching to multitudes, he was invited for a certain time, and then he's staying longer because healings were happening and all this, and uh, God had told him to go there for a certain time and come back. And, and finally he sees himself in this dream or vision, dying and coming before the judgment of God. And in the judgment of God, he finds himself shut up. And he says, no, there must be a mistake. I am so-and-so. I am the great preacher, you know, and I've led revival. There must be a mistake, surely. And uh, the record was looked up, and he was told he hadn't done what God wanted him to do. Yes, he had even led the revival. But then he had started to disobey God by staying longer than what God wanted. That was how precise 
that dream was. And he was very frightened by the dream. And he obviously determined to be much more uh, precise in obeying God. So if God speaks, let's be precise in obeying Him. Yeah? He leads me into in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me into conformity with His will, into conformity with His word, into conformity with His nature and character. Okay. Can you still all hear, hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Those who couldn't hear me, they didn't answer because... They didn't hear. I couldn't hear you. <laughs> Okay, now, verse 4. <coughs> yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's probably why it's so often used at the funerals, because people have been through suffering, and people think about death. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And you know, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. It is actually very true. My uncle was a, uh, was a um, doctor, general practitioner. And on his 80th birthday, I had to sit beside him at his birthday party. And suddenly, out of the blue, he was not a Christian, he turns to me and he says, Martin, I've seen many people die. Christians die differently. <coughs> wow. Not a Christian, but he had observed something. Christians die differently. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So where does this picture come from, the valley of the shadow of death? The shepherd would at times have to walk his sheep through deep ravines. Predators could be there, it was dark, uh, often moist or dangerous at least. And just as the name says, the shadow of death. There was just one thing lighting up the place. And that was the presence of the shepherd. Who was with them. Who had a rod to beat any predators. And uh, who had a staff to direct his sheep. And to touch them and discipline them if they got out of line. Because it could be dangerous. One wrong step and they could be you know, mincing. So... Sometimes the discipline was there. And that was lighting up the place. That brought actually courage and comfort. Thy rod and thy staff. I'm speaking King James myself. And your rod and your staff bring comfort. And they comfort me, he says. And it's very true. It's, it's not just the rod and staff. The first thing is you are with me. I will fear not evil because you are with me. The presence of the Lord in, in those circumstances. <clears throat> we have a friend, and um, a very sane friend. She was a school principal, so she wasn't loopy or anything like this. But she, I say this because she had a bit of an unusual experience. She had to go to a hospital. Uh, she had just been through the wedding of her daughter, and uh, so... She felt that everything in her family was settled, you know, kids were married and so on. And, and as she was preparing for this operation that she was going to have, where she was going to go under anesthesia, 
um, she started to become very nervous and harassed by thoughts that your life work has finished. It's all done. Your family is all, you know, it's, this is going to be it. And, and, you know, you're not going to survive this. Just constantly. And it was just getting worse and worse. And so on the morning of the operation, she uh, went there and there were delays and she had to put the gown on and wait and got still worse. Then they put her, finally they come in and they put her onto this, uh, what do you call it? Yeah. Trolley, thank you. And, uh, and they, they wheel her to the operating theater. And it's not quite ready yet, so they turn her aside into a side room, which is for instruments. And she hates needles. And this room was full of needles and all those torture instruments that they use in the operating theater. And then the anesthetist comes in and he tells her everything that can go wrong and uh, makes her sign her life away. And then he goes out and shuts the door and she is left in this room full of needles. Just she. And she, by this time, is starting to panic. And she is crying out, God, where are you? She has her eyes closed and there's a voice saying, I'm here. She opens her eyes and there's Jesus at the end of her bed. She said she could have touched him. And just so calmed her because it was just the presence of the Lord. Just his love coming to her at the point of need. And sometimes, you know, God waits for a while. They say so he's never late. So. But he isn't really either. <laughs> Which makes it a matter of trust, doesn't it? <clears throat> so, we are not exempt from bad stuff, from dark times, from dangerous times. But the Lord's presence helps us through. And then, of course, His rod and His staff, they comfort us. The shepherd's crook can yank you and um, can really uh, quite hurt you, but it can yank you back from places you shouldn't go. And, uh, of course, the Bible talks about, you're probably very familiar with Hebrews chapter 12. <coughs> Verse... Uh, Seven, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? If you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So it says God disciplines us, He chastens us uh, because we are sons. Because we are sons. Because we need it from time to time. Because we are stupid sheep. And verse 11, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. I can vouch for that. But painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, even some injuries that sometimes we get, they can be God's way of limiting us, limiting our path, directing us. Because otherwise we would have gone in a different direction. God does these things. He is not, he is not confined to just speaking. He does things in our lives. Yeah? Like the shepherd with his crook. 
Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. There's a final revelation that David gives us there. He knew God, the shepherd, as the one who vindicated him in the presence of his enemies by blessing him. And God does the same with us also, often in the natural, but even more so in the, in the spiritual. Even when they're enemies, or they have been enemies, he still blesses us with his table, the word, the food, with the oil, the anointing, and with the cup, the overflowing joy, the blessing of the Lord. And uh, sometimes these things can be there right in the midst of painful times. Times when we're not treated well. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible. King James Version says, unspeakable. Unspeakable joy. And full of glory. This was a church that was being persecuted. They were going through trials. They were experiencing, some of them, probably some of the things that some of the Jews experienced. And all through church history, church history is full of the same thing that happened to some of the Jews close to the Gaza Strip. The unspeakable atrocities right throughout the church age, the same things were done to Christians to try to turn them from the faith. And yet somehow, somewhere in the midst of this, there was an unspeakable joy. One minister whose testimony I've read, he was in a Romanian prison. He was tortured day by day by day by day in a terrible way. <clears throat> his whole many bones broken, holes in his body, and yet at times he would dance in a cell for joy because of the presence of the love. Jesus. Dance in a cell. You prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemies, whether that is in the situation to sustain you in the situation, or whether it's after the situation when the enemies are further away, we don't know when it is a time of vindication, but the time of vindication will come. We also know that the time of vindication will come. So these are some of the ways in which David had come to know God, who this God is really, is, is really and what he is really like. This is why David could say what he then says in verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All the days. 
He had found God faithful in every way, in every situation. And if I asked you, if I went around person by person, could you not say the same? That God has been faithful. Yeah, there have been some times that you have no answer for, that have really twisted and turned the inside of you. But God has still brought you through. He was still there. He has still been faithful. He may still be in the process of restoring your soul right now. But you know He is doing the work. He may still be in the process of bringing you to rest. But you know He is doing that work as well. He may still be in the process of disciplining you. But you know He is in it. And you better... You better... Yeah. What's the word? Listen on You better listen. That's the word. Listen on the bay and do it quickly. Now the last verse. One more time. Truly goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All the days, every day, every year, every season of your life, whatever else is happening, even in old age. <clears throat> Psalm 92 verse 13 to 15. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall still bring forth fruit in old age. <coughs> planted in the house of the Lord. Now, if you're not planted in the house of the Lord, I want to encourage you. It's high time that you would plant. Okay? If, if you are only sometimes going to the house of God, it's not God's purpose for you. Become faithful. Become faithful. It's high time to do so. Now you might ask, how can that be? How can goodness and mercy follow me when the body deteriorates and physically, as one lady in our church, we were trying to console her, you know, she had arthritis and other age-related problems, and, and we were saying, well, we hope that we get, it, get better soon. And she turned to us and she said, there's no better to get. <laughs> there's no better to get. There's no better to get. But you might ask, what then? when physically there is no better to get. Well, still, the presence of the God, of God and what He does and can do in you and through you can still make you confess that truly goodness and mercy shall follow you. At a restaurant where we ministered, there were two ladies who both turned 90 at the same time. Barbara and Olive. And I remember we asked then, what's it like? You know, you don't often have two 90 year olds you know, in, in a group. And what's it like to become old? And, uh, and one of them, Barbara, she said immediately, if you can, by all means, avoid it. <laughs> and the other one, as quick as that, said, not at all. Between 80 and 90, best years of my life. Between 80 and 90, best years of my life. Both of them had similar physical problems. What do you see? Both of what them were mentally still there. What would we see? But different was the attitude. One saw the losses of what she could no longer do. The other one saw the opportunities of what she could do right there at the restaurant. And she would welcome newcomers. And she would help them settle in. She would help them connect with God. 
because she had this heart to reach out. The other one didn't. So one was busy and was fruitful, and the other one wasn't. Now God wants us to believe for His goodness and mercy and for fruitfulness all the days of our life. And if He is there, and He is, then His goodness and mercy will always be there also. Whether we notice them at that time or not, it is there. How does that work if you get dementia or some incurable disease? I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But I've seen enough to know that God's goodness and mercy are present even there. Yeah. Yeah? Now finally, the last part of the verse. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then what? And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's why we hang in there. Because it's with him. I think we're going to look back when we are up there. When we are with the Lord. Look back and some of the things, some of the fights that we've put up against God's dealing in our lives. Some of the complaints. Some of the struggles. Some of the reluctance to go God's way. And we're going to say, idiot, yeah. why did I do that? Mm. That's why I also say, if you're not committed to the house of the Lord, become committed. Mm. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Revelation 21 verse 4, God will wipe away every tear, every tear. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. There's a great reward at the end. You know what that is? Like God said to Abraham, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your exceedingly great reward. So this is what I want to leave you with. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. It's practical. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh Lord, we thank you for David. Oh Lord, we have been through so many things. We have thank you, Lord, for for Christ, who is the ex, the supreme example, Lord God. We thank you for your dealing in our lives. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you're treating us like a shepherd. We thank you for your heart towards us, that you have that shepherd's heart. Thank you, Lord, also for church. Thank you, Lord, for the people that you've put us with, the flock of sheep that we are with. Help us, Lord, to avail ourselves of all that you've given us. Lord, to walk this year in faith, in a greater faith than last year to see our troubles as stepping stones, to see them as opportunities to dig into you, find you, find you as our shepherd, as our deliverer, as our helper, as our provider, whatever we need. Lord, we know that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us every day of this year and all through our lives. Amen.